we just left off with last week that Levites had no inheritance because the Lord is their inheritance. And so chapter 14 picks up with more of the divisions of what the tribes get. So chapter 14, verse 1, says this. These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses, for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Now, this opening segment deals with the land divided on the west side of the Jordan in general. And I do draw your attention to this first verse. I just, it's not a main application, but it's worth noting where it says that Eliezer, the priest, that's, that's Aaron's son, Joshua, one of the 12 faithful spies and the leader of the people, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes distributed the inheritance to them. Somebody has to be in charge. There has to be good leadership. You, you want good leadership. You want good leadership in your home. You want good leadership in your community. You want good leadership in your state. You want good leadership in your country. Good leadership in your business, in your workplace. Studying the Revolutionary War recently, you just find there's good generals and bad generals, right? You study any war, there's good generals and bad generals on the good guy's side and the bad guy's side. There's good generals. And, you know, Rommel's considered one of the greatest generals of all time. And, you know, for American, Rommel's the bad guys, right, with the Germans. But you, you, you study leadership... And there's always a need for leadership because men want to be led. Men and women, humanity wants to be led. And it's important that they're led by quality people who are God-fearing. That's very helpful in leadership. Because when the righteous reign, it's good with the people. But when the wicked are in power, it's bad for the people. And that's what the Word of God says. And what I like about this passage is something really important. Think about how important this is. Property distribution. This is property distribution the size of Southern California. Divided by 12 tribes. Levites are out, but Joseph is subdivided. Manasseh and Ephraim, 12 tribes. This is the distribution of all the property of Southern California. Think about that for a minute. The land of Israel is equal to Southern California. This is Riverside County, San Bernardino County, Los Angeles County, Orange County, and San Diego County, and even Imperial County. If all that land, Interstate 8, Interstate 5, 40, 10, 15 to Barstow, if Big Bear Mountain, all that. If all that land was divided amongst the descendants of 12 people, 12 sons of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, think how much drama you could have with that. You would have drama amongst the tribes themselves, and you would have drama within the tribes, in the families of the tribes, who gets what, and someone gets riverfront property on the Jordan, someone else is on the backside where the breeze, the sea breeze doesn't come in, right? You think about that, like how that would work. But it's important to understand in their distribution that the lot belongs to the Lord. That's very clear. So they would pray, and we'll see this as we progress in this book, and they'd cast lots, like rolling the dice, if you will, and they trusted that God was guiding the decision, and they accepted that decision as being from the Lord. Like it says in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist said, a man or a woman can receive nothing unless it comes from the Lord. 
So when we read these first five verses that Eliezer, Joshua, and these leaders distributed and divided the tribes, you're like, oh, whatever, there's more exciting stuff around the corner, but wait a second. This is Southern California being divvied up into 12 regions and then subdivided within those people groups, and we know those tribes had variations of size and how they multiplied on the second census after the wilderness wandering. So it's really important for them that there are quality men and women to be leaders. And in this case, you have a solid leader in Joshua, a spirit-filled leader, a man of faith. You have a high priest, Eliezer, who is proven to be competent and faithful. And then you have the leaders that represent each tribe. There's order. There's design and order. And think about this. If you're talking about the distribution of estates, literally real estate, what you have here is a trust, a living trust. This is the living trust for the nation of Israel. It's a living trust. And it goes into effect as they make, as they pray and make their decisions, cast the lots. It goes into effect, into effect, and there's no refuting the trust. There's no court of arbitration with the Lord when he gives land to these 12 tribes and where they settle. Now, you might have in the back of your Bible the map that shows where the 12 tribes are. I have one in my Bible. You may, you may not. But Essentially, are you ready for this? What Joshua and Eliezer and these leaders are? They're successor trustees for the living God. They are successor trustees for the promised land of Israel, for the descendants who received the promise of the estate, the physical estate. They are entrusted to obey the Lord and distribute this property down to the smallest family of the smallest tribe, Remember, Gideon would say, I'm the least in my household of the least family of the least tribe. They're responsible to allocate the property for Gideon in a future generation. And so as I look at this, I think it's really important that Christians are leaders. That like these men casting lots, we're led by the Lord. And that the testimony that we're led by the Lord speaks for itself to our family, our loved ones, in our community, that we're spirit-led leaders in our business places, in our families, and that we can be trusted with the stewardship of leading, including financial resources. Like Joseph in Egypt, where he was trusted by Potiphar and then by Pharaoh. That's who we want to be. We want to be people that are trusted. Even recently, someone asked me if I was willing to uh, be a part of a, uh, a healthcare directive, which of course is different than a DNR. On, uh, DNRs do not resuscitate. Most of you would know that. But a healthcare directive is something that's legally binding that gives someone the legal authority to make the decisions if you're incapacitated and on life support or you know you can't eat anymore and that kind of stuff. I mean, normally when you have a trust, you have your living trust, your your will, your healthcare, your health well, living trust, healthcare directive, your will, maybe a DNR and then um, a quick claim on a property so the lawyers don't get the money, that kind of thing, doesn't go to probate, stuff like that. That's a big responsibility. And usually when someone has a trust, and many of you have a trust, it says who the trustees are and the beneficiaries. But then there's successor trustees. So like, hey, this estate 
so-and-so is the first trustee, so when someone passes away, this person is legally in charge of managing the estate, this real estate, these bank accounts, these IRAs, they're in charge of that, and then you get the lawyer, you know, maybe, and it works out this way, and it all gets distributed upon liquidation of assets and stuff like that. It's a really important thing. It's a big responsibility. These guys, Joshua Eliezer and these leaders, were the successor trustees for God in the distribution of the estate for the entire nation that still exists to this day. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. So I figure if God can trust these men and these leaders with that kind of responsibility, we want to be the kind of men and women in our homes and in our community, our sphere of influence, that people trust us. God wants people to trust you. And you really know when people trust you, when they trust you with what? Their money. I told the story of my dad because I managed my dad's estate. This, this, my dad's theology is very simple. You're going to stand before God for his money, I figure you can stand before God for mine. That's literally what my dad said. Now at 91, he, didn't, he never asked about money more. He just trusts me and it's been years and taking care of him. And you pay the bills and you do what you need to do. That's kind of almost more like power of attorney stuff, which is another one of those things that goes in there. But my point is, we want to be leaders. We want to be led and be leaders. And we want to be people that God can trust with more stewardship to the benefit of other people. That's what it means to be in a city council, to be a mayor, to be on the PTA, to be a voice of reason, to show up and articulate why these things are wrong or why these things are right in support of or in contrary to local or larger scale government officials. To be able to articulate our thoughts in the marketplace of thought. And even when people want to cancel the marketplace of thought, to be able to communicate and bring those ideas to the marketplace of thought. And as you do that, that's a real sign of your leadership is that people trust you that way. So when I look at this text, I think, wow, these people were entrusted with the trust for God's living trust for the nation of Israel. What responsibility do they have over the next couple of years in the distribution of that land right down to the household of Gideon? So to me, the application is in a, in a world where there's so few people that can be trusted at all, God help us to be the men and women that people trust to the point that they trust us with their finances because they know we fear God and we're going to be faithful to look out for their interest as unto the Lord and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves to be successor trustees. Now we read on. That's just good Christian leadership. The children of Judah came to Joseph in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barina. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barina to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive and has said these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. And as yet, I'm as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain in which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim, the giants, were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. 
And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephnah, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephnah, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord of God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. Remember, 40 years before, more than 40 years before now, actually 45, 43 years before, Moses sent out the 12 spies to go spy out the promised land as he had left Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle and all that. So they made the covenant, and he sent out the ten spies to spy out the promised land God was giving them. And they were, out, they were there for 40 days, the number of testing. And they came back, Joshua, our leader, and Caleb, here, were the two of the 12 spies that had the positive report that, yes, there's giants, yes, there's going to be, there's, high, there's big cities, big walls, but God has promised us to it. All we need to stand on is the promises of God, so let's go in and, and get after what God has promised us. And if you recall, when we read this, when we came back inside after being outside last summer with numbers, Joshua and Caleb pleaded with the people not to listen to unbelief and the bad report. In the marketplace of thought, there was faith and unbelief that night. And Joshua and Caleb pleaded with the people, please listen to us. They were simply saying, this is God's word. He promised this. All we need to do is obey him and he'll surely give it to us. But yet the people chose fear and unbelief. The people, the masses chose fear and unbelief instead of faith and the promises and entering in. That's what they did. Joshua was always a voice of truth and faith and confidence in the Lord, which, of course, is a whole application for all of us. But he was shouted down. And they almost stoned Joshua and Caleb for what they said. So Caleb here, I said Joshua, I meant Caleb. Caleb was the man of faith all that time, as was Joshua. They're the two main leaders for the entire nation right now. Isn't that interesting? When they spoke truth 43 years before and were shouted down and almost crucified, with pelting of rocks or almost lost their life to that mob. They outlasted everyone over 20 because everyone over 20 died in the wilderness with unbelief. Now they're leading those people's children, the next census, the new generation in the promised land. Caleb's 85. He was 40 in the prime of his career, if you will, at that time. Now he's 85. Joshua's that strong leader. He's dividing the inheritance. He's, he's, this, he's the first trustee with Eliezer. He's like a king. He's the leader. Like Eisenhower, general and president. He's that kind of leader. But even better because he's a spirit-filled leader completely. And Caleb says, remember? You know, he never lost his faith. It's really important when we go through trials in our personal life or different things in general, we can't lose faith. We can never lose sight that Jesus is on the throne and everything's moving toward eternity. Joshua never lost sight of that. When you think about the wilderness wandering, he had to grind it out for 38 years after he believed those promises and he was shouted down. He had to grind it out for 38 years. For 38 years of unbelief, bad decision-making, and competent leadership. Not Moses, but the will of the majority. He had to spend 38 years watching his entire class, his high school class, of B.C. 1500 dropped dead in the wilderness for the next 38 years. Can you imagine your high school class or yearbook? You had to watch every one of those people die because of their unbelief. They shouted you down and they all died in the wilderness. 
And now here you are, they're all gone, and you're leading them in a brave new world, in, a, in the promised land, in a whole other way. And now your faith that you tried to give to their parents, you're imparting to their children. That's what Joshua's entru- what Caleb was entrusted with, as was Joshua in his own way, but Caleb in this context here. It's such a powerful testimony. And his faith at 85. You get a little fuzzy at 85. You have good days and average days, and you have fuzzy days. You certainly have those kind of days in the 90s. But a lot of people give them at 85. And we think about, for some of us, 85 is not that far down the road. But look what he said about being 85. He said, on this day, I'm as capable of going in as I ever was. At 85, he's saying, I am, this is what he says here. This is the word of God. This is what he's saying. He says, I am as strong this day as on the day Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now my strength for war is now for going out and coming in. In other words, he's like, I'm able to go to war. I'm able to go out into the war and to come in from the war with the fruit and the benefits of the war. Joshua, Caleb and Joshua had to live with war their whole lifetime, and Caleb understood that. And they had already seen the battle of Jericho, the battle of Ai, the defeat, and then the victory, and all these other, the, the kings, and all that stuff, sun stand still. And somewhere in this journey, He's been thinking for 43 years, the land he saw when he was 40 years of age. And now here he is, if you will, now actually 45 years. He's like, I'm ready to go. Like that's how we want to be with the kingdom of God. Most people as they get older get weaker in their faith. We want to get stronger in our faith from glory to glory. We want to get stronger. We want to have more faith in 2041 than we have in 2021. And 2031, more than 2021, because I'll be 80 in 2041, so that's an easy benchmark for me. So we want to have more faith. Like at 85, you just want to be able to like drop the mic. But we fight our wars in prayer and speaking truth. That's how we fight with the kingdom. The Great Commission is prayer and declaration of truth. So you have Pastor Chuck Smith in the pulpit at 86, dying of cancer with an oxygen mask. And really, he's like Caleb in his own way. Prayer and declaration of truth. All the other things will come and go. Caesars rise, Caesars fall. Caesar's Colosseum is still there in Rome. So are the catacombs. Where's the Roman legions that used to cheer at what went on in the Colosseum? They're long gone. Where's the church that was birthed in the catacombs? Right here. Right here. So we want to be like Joshua. We want to get stronger. And at 85, we're like, his retirement plan was going to war. (laughs) He's not going on some cruise, you know, in the Caribbean, right? <laughs> hey, Caleb, 
and I know I confuse Caleb and Joshua all the time when I talk about them, but we're talking about Caleb. We know that. Caleb's retirement plan is not like this Viking cruise in the Bahamas. Caleb's retirement plan is going to go whoop those people and get what's his that he's been waiting 45 years in faith to go get. That's my kind of retirement. The battle belongs to the Lord. And it's going to always be with us till we breathe our last. Or as Toby Mack would say, till the day I die. We have the battle all the way to the last day. To the last day. You might, be trying, you might be trying to teach a devotion in assisted living and some demented person shows up every time you're trying to share the truth with somebody who's listening at 90 and they're 90 out of their mind and they're being used by the devil to try and wreck your Bible study. Till the day you die, it's a battle. That's our retirement plan, Caleb's retirement plan. Fight the good fight. Chapter 15. So this was a lot of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families. Remember, Caleb was Judah. So now we're going to get these uh, Judah... The land of Judah. So just think Southern California, like we're divvying up Riverside County right now. Uh, but actually, it has a little bit of sea breeze to it too. So the border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin southward was the extreme southern boundary. And the southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea from the bay that faces southward. Then it went out of the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim, passed along Zin, ascended to the south side of Kadesh Brina. Let me just say this. If you have the map in the back of your Bible, like I do, you can look at it. I'm reading this. So I got the map right here. Right here. There it is. This page. See, like I've got this map that shows the tribes and their distribution. So it's super helpful when I'm reading this. If you have that in the back of your Bible, that you can look at that while we're reading about Judah. So the border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin, southward was the extreme southern boundary, and their southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea from the bay that faces southward. Then it went out to the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim, passed along Zin, ascended the south side of Kadesh Barina, passed along to Hezron, went up to Adar, and went around Garka. From there it passed toward Asman, went out to the brook of Egypt, and the border ended at the sea. This shall be your southern border. The east border was the Salt Sea as far as the mouth of the Jordan, and the border on the north, northern quarter began at the bay of the Sea of the Mouth of Jordan, the Jordan River. The border went up to Beth Hagla and passed north of Beth Arba, and the border went out to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. So there's some guy put up a stone and said, like, hey, whatever it's worth is a reference point. Verse 7. Then the border went up toward Debir from the valley of Achor, and it turned northward toward Gilgal, which is before the ascent of Edimim, which is on the south side of the valley. The border continued towards the water of En Shemesh and ended at En Rogal, and the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnaman on the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. Everything revolves around Jerusalem in Israel and for the world. The border went up to the top of the mountain that lies before the valley of Hinnaman, westward, which is at the end of the valley of Rephim, northward. Then the border went around the top of the hill to the fountain of water at Neftoah and extended to the cities of Mount Ephron. The border went to Balal, which is Kirjath Jerim. Then the border turned westward from Balal to Mount Seir, passed along the side of Mount Jerim on the north, which is Chesalon, went down to Beth Shemesh and passed on to Timnah. And the border went out to the side of Ekron northward. Then the border went around to Shikron, passed along Mount Balal, extended to Jabniel, and the border ended at the sea. The west border was the coastline of the Great Sea. This is the boundary of the children of Judah all around according to their families. You know, we're talking about that property estate. Think about this. 
Some people live near the Dead Sea. Like, that's not, I mean, some people like the desert. That's like Palm Springs. That's like hot, hot, hot. Like, that's the lowest sea level on Earth, by the way. The Dead Sea. And it's hot. Some people like the desert. Some people, the lot fell to them to live in the desert. That's just the way it went. Other people, they're on the coast. They're just below Tel Aviv with the sea breeze. Like, yeah, this just worked out well. Like, you know, when they, they roll the lot, you're like, ah, ah. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? It's what the Lord determined. That's the way the estate went. Like they're reading, God's reading the estate. This is the boundaries, this and that, this and that. It's just the Lord. But you got to remember in time, space, and matter, if it seems like somehow you've always got the, the short end of the stick and you got stuck in the Dead Sea on the cliffs where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and it seems like your oppressor has the oceanfront property in Tel Aviv, that's all the more reason to think you're going to be totally blessed in eternity. Because this is all just a test. It's all just a test. It's just a test. That we can totally trust in the Lord. Remember Peter said, oh, we've left everything for you. What do we get? And Jesus is like, you get, you get plenty. I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you, you get plenty. You just, don't you worry about John. Don't worry about what you're going to get. You just fulfill your ministry. So that's the, that's the land that's going to be distributed. So really, it's almost like Newport over to Moreno Valley, the variation of temperatures for the tribe of Judah. See, some of these tribes only have a coastal area or only have an inland area. Judah has both, if you see that map in the back of your Bible. They got both, so it's a pretty broad. This is more like horizontal, where some of the tribes are vertical in the north by Lebanon, like Zebulun and Naphtali. Theirs is like this. Cuts right across the middle of the land from Dead Sea right to the Mediterranean Sea. And now we get a little more about Caleb. Verse 13. Now to Caleb... The son of Jephna, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to command of the Lord, to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Shishai, Ahiman, Talmai, the children of Anak. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir, formerly the name of Debir was Kirjath Saphir. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kirjath Saphir and takes it, to him I will give Achish. To him I will give Aksa, my daughter, as wife. So Othniel, the son of Kenes, the brother of Caleb, that would be the cousin, he took it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. Now it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field, that is Othniel. So she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? And she answered, Give me a blessing. Since you've given me land in the south, give me also the springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. I love this story. Such a good story. You see, we reproduce our faith in other people. And we also reproduce our sins. Now, the book of Genesis shows that the sins of the fathers are repeated in the children. And you've got to have the grace of Jesus Christ come in and break that cycle and really turn that around. But what's so beautiful is that when a generation comes up that is serving the Lord together in their marriage and they're raising children unto the Lord, you are setting your children up for the blessings. And if you have standards of, good standards of the kingdom, generally your children will seek those standards. 
Or they at least know that's the standard they should be seeking. If they settle for less, that's their problem because they're adults and they're self-determined in their decision-making. You see, Caleb was one of the most amazing men of God that ever lived in human history, period. And his daughter would have been the apple of his eye, right? Like, dads love their daughters. This is Hannah and Leah for me, my daughters. Like, we love our daughters. Daddies love their daughters, especially daddies that walk with the Lord. They're so special. And we don't understand all the cultural nuances of like, hey, whoever takes this city, I'll give my daughter to him. But who's not to say Caleb wasn't looking at Othniel going like, man, he's, he's, like, he's like a bee with honey, man. I can't get rid of him to save my life. Guy's lurking around my tent for the last 15 years. That side of the Jordan, this side of the Jordan. Daddy, Othniel's here. You know, like, dads understand? In case you don't, let me tell you. When I realized that Leah had a boyfriend, okay, it was a good story, I have to tell you. So Leah was doing track. She comes home and says, I don't want to do track. I'm like, why not? She goes, well, I don't want to run. Okay, that's a good reason not to do track. You know, if you don't want to run, you don't do track. It's like, okay, yeah, I want to do the surf team. Ah, little okie-dokie with pop. Uh, the, sur- the surf team, cool. Wow, you know, I'll help you. <laughs> Actually, no, you don't want me to help you with surfing. Not if you're my kid. And, uh, but she said, I'll do the surf team. I'm like, cool. So I show up at a surf team practice, and I come there, and I see Leah laughing and giggling with Jacob Bradley. Now, I don't know who Jacob Bradley is. He's my son-in-law now for almost 10 years. But she's like, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and he's like laughing. I was like, I'm like, what, like what, 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 is, what is this, you know? And Mr. Foster, Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy, was the coach of the surf team. And I'm thinking, like, I'm going to Jeremy. I'm going to do a little backdoor, shuffling of the feet, winking to the eye. I'm going to fix this right now. But uh, you, you can't do that, just so you know, you can't do that. Um, but wouldn't you know, it's so humorous because her and Jake had hatched this pot where they'd both be on the surf team, but there's only one spot left on the surf team. So Leah gets, she joined the surf team to be with Jacob, but she took his spot. But if you know anything about Jacob, that didn't deter him at all. He just hung out there with this. He's a homeschooler. He's like, I'm going to surf practice. He's not even on the team. He's like hanging out with everybody. Like, ah. It's like, what are you doing here, kid? You're not even on the team. You know, like I try to be like, like this. He just, what I learned about Jacob is he's the only male on planet Earth that loves my daughter more than I do. That's what I learned. And he loves her as a husband should. And I loved her like a dad should and still do. Now, they insisted he asked for her hand in marriage from me. I don't remember that. But, you know, it's possible I was just in shock when he asked me, like, because uh. everyone says there's witnesses. Like, no, Dad, he asked you for, I, I don't remember. It's like it's blank. It's like, boom, like the file got wiped or something. Like, it's wiped. Like, where'd it go? Like, I don't even remember it, you know? <laughs> so maybe Othniel's like Jake at the surf practice. He just, he's just like... You know, and after all, I just like, you know, this kid's not all bad. He works hard. He does stuff. And and so like, hey, you get this idea like, oh, let's see if he's really the right guy for my daughter. So whoever takes this village and goes get this inheritance for my family, they can marry my daughter. We'll see. We'll see. Hey, picture Caleb talking to his wife. We'll see what old Othniel's made of. Huh? 
Well, let's see what Othniel's made of when this is the conditions to marry our daughter. Yeah, we, we got him right now. It's like a chessboard. We got him right now. What does Othniel do? She's like, <laughs> you know, for the love of my life. Like, you know, James Dobson once told me, you don't stop the flow of the river with love. You just try and steer it. When I had Christmas dinner with James Dobson, he's like, I'm like, I'm going to ask him everything I ever thought to think. Ask James Dobson, right? I'm like, I've got James Dobson. We're sitting at dinner. Christmas dinner, I'm going to ask him all these questions. Like, what about this? Oh, it's like, a, it's like a river. You can't stop it, but you can steer it. So the rest of my time, raising my kids, I'm like, when they're in love, I'm like, mm, you can't stop the Mississippi River, but you can kind of steer it, right? So Othniel has this great passion for Caleb's daughter to marry her. And love, there's, you know, the book of Song of Solomon's like, you learn from Song of Solomon, you can't extinguish the fire of love, Right? Especially young love, so off he goes. He comes back, he's like, hey, you pop! <laughs> right? I mean, this is real, this is, so you can read this and not think about the human elements of this. This is Caleb, the man of God, one of the greatest ever. This is his daughter. This is the nephew that has loved his daughter and risked his life to go get the inheritance to marry her. Everything in this story is beautiful, in order, and honorable. But the best part of this story, there's actually two more elements to this story. One, we know from the book of Judges, after Joshua dies, and Caleb's gone, and there's need for great leaders, like we started tonight, who becomes the great leader? Othniel. Caleb's son-in-law becomes the first judge in the book of Judges. He becomes the first great leader of Israel in a post-Moses-Joshua world. Think, Moses, Joshua, Othniel. That's the flow chart. That's how it went. Think on that. Think what he learned from Caleb in the back end of Caleb's life. What he learned from Caleb when he wasn't even his father-in-law, but he thought, maybe someday I can call him Pops. And then after this, he could. But then, that's amazing. And I talk about faith, right? The faith of Caleb is infused and reproduced in his daughter, who then, she's, she comes from the family of champions, and she marries a champion. She marries a champion. Her father was a leader. She marries a leader. She didn't marry down. She married right across horizontally, as they say. That's what she did. And then, because sometimes we dumb ourselves down and we settle for so much less, then it's not enough to have the land, to have her husband. She obviously loved him, and it's all good. She goes, Othniel's uh, like, hey, just, let's, let's, she says, Othniel, let's ask for the water. Let's ask for those wells. Let's ask for all of it. Dad, our, my dad's a good dad. My dad's a generous dad. Let's, let's just ask him for all, because you need the water, right? Like, let's just, let's just ask him. The worst thing you can do is say, no, let's ask him. Now, go in there and talk to Pop. Let's ask him. Let's get the wells. And they asked for the wells. And what does a loving father do in this case? He gave them the wells. He gave them the water. So he gave them physical, temporal blessings. But that's just the byproduct of the real blessings, the spiritual blessings. He gave them faith and character courage and conviction that would long outlast the value of the land or the water 
It was the example of the man of God that would be the legacy to Othniel, his son-in-law, and his daughter. The land and the water will change ownerships, but the legacy of faith goes on forever. So the key thought is what it says in Proverbs. A righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And so generational wealth, temporal, is a good thing. But generational wealth spiritually is a better thing when it's apprehended, grasped, and lived out. What an amazing man Caleb is in the legacy of his life. Now we read on. Verse 20. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families. Now we get these cities, so stay with me. I'm gonna, I've, practiced these, I've practiced these cities, so stay with me. The cities at the limits of the tribe of the children of Judah toward the border of Edom in the south was Kabzeel, Eder, Jagur, Kenya, Dimonah, Adada, Kadesh, Hazor, Ithnan, Ziph, Telam, Beloeth, Hazor, Hadatat, Kiriath, Hezron, which is Hazor, Ammon, Shema, Moladah, Hazor Gada, Heshman, Beth Pilot, Hazor Shul, Beersheba, Bizjothaja, Balaam, Ezem, Ezem, Etolad, Chisil, Horma, Ziglag, that's famous from the time of David, uh, Madmana, Sansana, Laboath, Shirhim, Ain and Rimnon. All the cities are 29 with their villages. In the lowlands, Eshtol, Zorah, Ashna, Zana, Enganim, Tafua, Enam, Jarmuth, Adulam, Soko, Azikah, Sherim, Adathium, Gedera, and Gerdathium. 14 cities with their villages. Zenin, Hadashit, Migogad, Dilin, Mizpah, Jokil, Lakish, Boskath, Iglon, Kaban, Lamas, Kithish, Gidrath, Beth Dagan, Nanma, and Makida. Sixteen cities with their villages. Libna, Es, Libna, Ether, Eshan, Jifta, Ashna, Nizib, Kilea, Akzib, and Marsha. Nine cities with their villages. Ekron with its town and villages. From Ekron, to the sea, all that lay near Ashad with their villages, Ashad with its towns and villages, Gaza with its towns and villages, as far as the brook of Egypt and the great sea with its coastline. This, of course, is all modern Gaza right now as we understand it in our current geography. And the mountain country, Shamir, Jatir, Shoka, Danin, Kirjath, Sana, which is the beer, Anab, Eshtema, Anim, Goshen, Holon, and Gilan, eleven cities with their villages, Arab, Duma, Ishin, Janumbeth, Tapua, Afika, Humta, Kirjat Arab, which is Hebron, and Zior, nine cities with their villages, Moan, Carmel, Zif, Juta, Jezreel, Jokdim, Zanoa, Kain, Gibeah, Timnah, ten cities with their villages, Halhu, Beth Zur, Gedor, Marath, Beth Anath, El Tikan, six cities with their villages, Kirjath Baal, which is Kirjath Jerem, and Rebat, two cities with their villages. In the wilderness, Beth Arbara, Medin, Sekaka, Nibshan, the city of salt, and En Gedi, six cities with their villages, 
As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Israel could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem as it is to this day. Funny story, one time I listened to Pastor Chuck to a verse-by-verse where he just said, you know, and all these names are, forget it, let's move on. And there being a young pastor, I thought, you know, if I ever come to these names, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to I'm read these names. You know, like the smart aleck young pastor, this is what young pastors do. And then earlier this week, I thought, I'm just going to skip these names. It's like, no, you're not. Because <laughs> you said in your little smarty pants 15 years ago, you're going to read those names. So there we go. So thank you for the encouragement on that. And uh, I really want us to read the Bible together, right? So if you've been with us since July of 2019, we're word for word so far in the Old Testament going on Tuesday nights. Now, again, think about this. Like these are all these little villages, little towns. And as the tribe of Judah got this territory, then it began, these towns began to be divvied up by the lot. And then you get your town, like, so put yourself in any of these little towns, like, hey, that's where we live, that's what we got. And then, all right, so now X amount of people in this village, we cast a lot, you're over here, you're over there, you're over there. Like, that's how it worked. But remember this, it was all an inheritance. God said he would give them vineyards they didn't plant, groves they didn't plant, wells they didn't dig, and houses they didn't build. It was all an inheritance. So yet again, we're reminded as we read these cities and these villages and these towns, our God is a blessing God. And if he wants to redistribute wealth, he can. And as I even think like how in the history of this church, in the history of of the body of Christ, God can bring famines to test people and to test ministries. And he can bring blessings like that in the moment of a day. Someone can walk up to Pastor Chuck and give him a thousand, excuse me, a million dollar check, and then God tell him not to cash it and not to accept it. True story. It's never about the money. It's about faith and truly trusting that God's in control. Now, on Saturday, we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So these passages are somewhat similar in that they had to depend on the Lord to give them their inheritance, their lot in life. And then we trust in the Lord to meet our needs, our daily bread, as we've been studying the last two weeks on Saturday night. Now, the last thing it said here is they could not drive out the Jebusites. That is an interesting phrase to me that says they could not drive out the Jebusites. We're going to see next week when we come back to chapters 16 and 17 that that phrase is used again. But it will say like they did not, they would not, or they could not. These distinctions are interesting The Jebusites were very determined to stay in Jerusalem. It wasn't until hundreds of years later that they're actually driven out of Jerusalem. Some of our battles that we fight require just more in prayer, more diligence, more passion. Like Jesus said to the apostles, these kind only come out with fasting and prayer. And I believe we're in a time, I don't want to settle for I don't want to be said of me because of my life choices, how I think, how I am, or my disposition, that I could not drive out. See, in sports, like, if you can't run fast, you can't run fast. Like, some things you can't do. In the movie Chariots of Fire, when the coach says to Harold Abrams, we can't put there what God didn't put there. Like, you have to be fast in the first place. So some things we just can't do. 
We learn that as we go through life. And there's some things we're not called to do. But for sure, we know right now as the body of Christ, we're called to pray, we're called to speak, and to enter the marketplace of thought, and to raise our voice in love with humility, in truth, speaking the truth in love, and engage society, because the church has never retracted from that, and that's something we're called to do. But before we do it, we absolutely have to be prayed up and have the mind of Christ for those things and those circumstances. The most dangerous thing is someone who has head knowledge but doesn't have a spirit-filled disposition with their head knowledge. I know that from my own life. So as we're being pressed and challenged by so many things, I really believe that the month of September for us as a church is a month to be in prayer. It's a month to find another gear, a month to be in fasting, and to really stand in the gap for our country, for our state, our leaders, like them or don't like them, for our neighbors, like them or don't like them, and for the church of Jesus Christ. Because I don't want to be said of us when we step into eternity that we could not drive out the darkness in our day. I don't want that to be said of me or us, that we could not because we're lacking something in the kingdom. If God doesn't drive it out, that's his business, but I don't want to come short because we didn't take care of ours.